0: You're listening to the Van Booty Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll continue in our study of the book of Job. Job was able to see through his suffering to the bigger purpose God had for him. When we come to understand God and his ways more, we'll be able to do the same. Let's get started. Well, Good morning, family. Right where you are, would you just pause with me and uh, let's go to God in prayer as we ask him to continue to move in a great, great way uh, as he's already doing through this worship. Our Father and our God, we are now at the point of hearing from you. We've been worshiping you and bowing in your presence because you are our Lord, you are our Savior, you are our Master, you are our Redeemer, you are our Father. You're everything that we will ever need, and so Lord, as we bow before you, as we shut out everything as we humble our hearts as we open god eyes and our ears spiritually to hear what you want to say to us we just ask now father that you would speak as only you can through the power of your mighty word in the mighty name of jesus we pray and the people of god said "Amen. amen amen Well, good morning to all of our TWC friends and family. Good morning to all of our guests, those of you that are joining us literally from around the world uh, and even around our country. We are so grateful to uh, have you with us this Sunday morning. I'm so grateful whether you are joining us via our online campus or YouTube or Facebook Live uh, across many of the platforms um, by which we broadcast. We are so honored to have you want you to grab your Bible, want you, if you um, are familiar with our TWC app every week, uh, my teaching notes are out there. I want you to follow along with me. But we have been in a series of teaching entitled, What is God Doing? And in many ways, this series has been a journey through the book of Job. And so we've been walking through this uh, book, this incredible book, for the last several weeks now. And we are approaching the conclusion of this series. In fact, on next Sunday, we are going to conclude this series. We're also going to observe Holy Communion in a very special way. And it's been an incredible series. It's been an incredible time studying this book. Because I really believe that in light of everything that our country and our communities are facing right now, uh, I believe that this is actually one of the best books that we can be in right now. I don't know a better book that is more apt to speak to the challenges, the external and the internal questions and turmoil um, that many of us are wrestling with. And God has been speaking um, throughout this series in a variety of ways. In fact, I believe that this is going to be one of those kinds of series that you're going to probably have to go back and, and go through again. Uh, But as we move into this next uh, installment of this series on this morning, we're going to talk about peace in the silence, peace in the silence. Now, one of the most important things that God has been teaching us through this book, as I've talked about, we've been journeying through this book of Job. One of the most important things that God has been teaching us through this book is that it's how you respond to difficulty and pain and hardship and even suffering that determines whether or not you come out on the other end bitter or better. I really leaned into that on last Sunday. And I want to start this Sunday with that in mind. It's, it's not whether or not we're going to go through hardships and difficulties because we know that we are. Jesus even told us in this life, you will have tribulation. So there is no such thing as a pain-free, trouble-free, problem-free life. And so it's not whether or not you're going to go through it. Instead, it's how you go through it or how you respond to the difficulty and the pain, the hardship, and even seasons of suffering that will determine on the other side whether you come out bitter or better. Now, what I have learned over the many years of walking with the Lord and, and, and growing in my own faith is that I've learned that it's the people who seek the presence, I mean the abiding presence of God, more than those who seek answers. About, well, why am I going through this? And why is this hardship or this issue of suffering even hitting my life in the first place? What I've learned is that it's the people who seek the presence of God more than those who seek answers that actually find peace. That's what we find at the end of the book of Job. Now, I've been saying it all throughout this series And it bears repeating, the book of Job is a very critical and important book of the Bible. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of this teaching series, I share it with you, in fact, that the book of Job is the oldest written book of the Bible. It was the first historical um, written book in terms of historical and archaeological evidence. The oldest or the first written book of the Bible, um, in fact, was the book of Job. And I share it with you at the beginning of the series and at points throughout this series that I think that that's even very, very purposeful because... There are some things that God says to us through this book that I think are very, very foundational. One of the most foundational things that God, I believe, wanted us to know from the very beginning is that he expects us to be faithful even in the midst of frustration. And I believe that's a part of why he holds up Job the way that he does. But this book, for a variety of reasons, is very purposeful. And one of those reasons is because this book asks some very challenging questions. Questions like, why do difficult things happen to good people? Or, why in the world would, would God allow a really good guy like Job to lose his family, to lose his livelihood? Questions like, why in the world, I mean, in light of the sovereignty of God, would God allow something like that to happen? And people have been raising these questions for, for many, many, many years. And truthfully, the greatest theological minds in history have wrestled with that question. And no one has come up with a conclusive answer. There is no definitive answer even in the book of Job, about why God allows difficult things or challenging things to happen to good people because I don't think that that's what God wants us to understand. What is definitive, though, throughout the book of Job is that God was there. What's definitive is not why God allowed it to happen, but what is definitive is that God was there the entire time. Meet me in Job chapter 38, and let's pick up at verse number 1. In Job 38, and in verse number 1, God now begins to speak. For all of these chapters, God's been silent, but he's been there. He's been there, but he's been silent. Now, God begins to speak. It says, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, underline that if you don't have a problem writing in your Bible, or note that in the, in the notes in our app. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all of the angels shouted for joy? I was recently made aware of an article about the astrophysicist who manned the Hubble telescope. And it was very fascinating because... They now estimate, watch this, that there are somewhere uh, around 1 billion, with a B, 1 billion galaxies beyond what our human eye can see. And, and guess how many stars each of those galaxies contain? They suspect somewhere in the realm of 1 trillion so so get this, beyond what our eyes can see, beyond our human comprehension, there are one billion galaxies. And within those one billion galaxies, each galaxy contains somewhere in excess of one trillion stars. So get this, I want you to say with me and walk with me through this. Beyond what we can see, beyond our comprehension, there are one billion galaxies and each of those galaxies contain one trillion stars. And when God speaks to Job, God says, Job, I control all of that. He says, where were you? Where were you when I, when, I, when, I, when I tacked the grass down? Where were you when, when, when I said, let, let there be light? And even though light had never existed, it had to come into existence because if it's not it when I say it, it has to be it after I say it because my word is that powerful. Where were you? See, what Job has essentially been doing through all of these chapters that we've been looking at is Job has essentially been, been texting God. Job has been poking and prodding God. He's been, he's been texting him, and God had not been responding. And he, he's, been, he's been saying, God, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? What did I do to deserve this? Why is all of this now happening to me? And the God of the universe, the God who controls billions of galaxies and trillions of stars, doesn't immediately respond to Job's text. And when God doesn't immediately respond to Job's text messages, his poking and prodding, why did I ha- have to go through this? And what are you doing to me? And what's going on, God? When God doesn't immediately respond, here's the thing. Job gets upset. He gets upset. He gets an attitude. Isn't it interesting how quick we are to get an attitude with God when he doesn't respond the way we want him to respond? Isn't it interesting how quickly we will we will throw our hands up and have a pity party and want to take our toys and go to the next place when, when god doesn't respond as quickly as we want him to respond or, or how uh, we want him to respond it's it's interesting to me and i've seen i've seen people uh, just just leave leave god i've seen people leave the church not because anything is wrong but simply because god didn't respond as quickly as he as they wanted him to respond or, or maybe the way that God that they wanted God to respond it's interesting how we're quick to get an attitude with God when 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 he doesn't respond the way we want him to as quickly as we want him to but here's the thing when God does finally speak we learn some really really important things God has been silent this entire time and now you get to Job chapter 38 and God speaks and when he speaks We learn some really important things. What are you talking about, Bishop? Well, number one, we learn that God is with us. The first thing we've got to pay attention to is that when he speaks, he calls himself the Lord. It says, the Lord spoke to Job. Now, this is really important because up until this point, All throughout the book of Job, from from chapters 3 all the way to chapter 37, God has been called God. He's been referred to as God. All six of the human characters up until chapter 38 called him God. Job referred to him as God. Mrs. Job referred to him as God. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, they referred to him as God. Even Elihu referred to him as God. They all called him God. Now, that term God in the Hebrew is Elohim, and Elohim is a formal title that literally means the God of the Israelites. And so, all the way through this book, he's been referred to as God over and over and over and over and over again. Elohim, the God of the Israelites, but when he finally speaks up, when, when, when God puts the, puts the earth on autopilot for, for a moment and speaks up, He refers to himself as the Lord. And that word, the Lord, is Yahweh in the Hebrew. He puts puts those billions of galaxies on autopilot and those trillions of stars on autopilot. And he comes down to speak with Job and he he says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. And that name Yahweh denotes that God is our personal God. God first revealed himself as Yahweh to Moses when he sends Moses back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And and Moses has got nothing but excuses. God, send somebody else, and I'm not good enough, and I have a stuttering problem. And he says, and who in the world should I say sit me? And that's when he reveals his name. He says, I am that I am, which means I shall be whatever you need me to be. That's Yahweh. And he's saying that I'm going to be with you, Moses, because I am your personal God and now God shows up and says the same thing to Job he says I am I'm Yahweh I'm going to be with you I am your personal God this is a part of the reason also why if you look at verse uh, 2 of chapter 38 that we looked at earlier this is why God even says who is this that darkens my counsel that, that word counsel means a face-to-face communication. That's what God is saying. He's saying, uh, you you want me? You've been texting me all of these chapters, all of this time. You've been hurling accusations and raising questions. Now I'm going to grant you a face-to-face meeting with me. Kind of like the Bible says God would speak to Moses face-to-face as a man would speak to his friend. That's what it means when when he says in verse 2 of chapter 38 in Job, who is this that darkens my counsel? This is a lot different. Than the way that God speaks to, to the enemy, the serpent, Satan, at the beginning of the book of Job. And I shared with you in week one that you ought to believe in a big God and a small devil. Because when, when God speaks to Satan, it's declarative. Yeah, Satan is not on the same level as God. It's kind of like, you know, when, when I tell my children, you know, take out the trash or to do something. And, and every now and then, as they're growing into uh, becoming preteens, they, they're starting to sniff themselves or smell themselves a little bit. And every now and then, they get crazy and, and want to say, why? And my response is, excuse me? And if they don't get it with the excuse me, then I revert to, because that's what I asked you to do, or in the words of my mama, because I said so. And that means this is not a conversation of equals or peers. This is a declarative command coming from your father. That's the way that, that God speaks with Satan. Earlier in the book of Job, when Satan and God are having a conversation, they're not having a conversation as equal peers. God is commanding Satan, you can do this, but you cannot do that. But now when God speaks to Job, who is this that darkens my counsel? He says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, because he says, I'm your personal God, and I'm going to meet with you face to face. This is also... Why in verse number one, it's important that you also pay attention to the fact that it says that the Lord answered Job out of the storm. God, I love your word. Because that's what Job's life has felt like over these many chapters. He's felt like, man, I I was going along and things were fine. My children were good. My family was good. My livelihood was good. My health was good. My marriage was good. And then all of a sudden, there is this storm and I lose it all. And I love it because, because Job's life has felt like a storm. And I'm teaching to some of you this morning. And, and that's what it maybe has felt like for you. Maybe these months going through this pandemic or maybe some recent things that have happened. It's made you feel like, man, I am going through a storm. And we even use that language. Oh, it's just a storm. Or, Hold on through the storm. But here's the good news. Where did God speak to Job? Face to face. I'm Yahweh. I'm your personal God. But he spoke to him. Out of the storm, which means, yes, Job, I know that your life has been tumultuous. I know that it's maybe felt like you've been going through a storm, but guess what? I'm right there with you. This is a word for us because so often when the storm comes, we start wondering, well, God, where are you? Oh, where is God? And people raise those questions. Where is God? And I can't believe that this is happening. What's going on? What is God doing? Where is he? And the answer is, he's right here. He's with us. He's in the storm. If your life feels like you're going through a storm, the good news is he's right there with you. It's kind of like the disciples in Mark chapter four, when when Jesus is in the stern of the boat and he says, let's go to the other side. And then a storm arises and they start freaking out. Oh my God, we're going to drown. And and then somebody remembers, wait a minute, Jesus is in the boat and they they wake him up and say, master, don't you care? And he says, "What, what are you talking about? He just speaks to the storm and says, peace be still. He's with you in your boat boat of your life the boat of your marriage he's with us in the boat of this pandemic and our responsibility is not to freak out or to panic or to get so frustrated and start uh, hurling accusations God you don't care what are you doing we got to remember he's with us God is not aloof he's not disconnected he's not unconcerned he says yes Job I've been silent But I've been with you the whole time because God is with us. But then here's the second thing that we learn when God begins to speak. The second thing we learn is that God's presence is more important than answers. God, I love your word. What's so incredible about all of this is that here it is. Job has an attitude with God. And all of these chapters, he's been poking, and he's been prodding God. I can't believe I'm going through this, and I haven't done anything to deserve this, and where are you, God, and, and what are you doing? And, and then God shows up and says, and says, okay, Job, you got a face-to-face communication, a conversation with me, but when God begins to speak, when you study Uh, chapters 38 and chapters 40, and when when God begins to speak, what you'll see is that God doesn't begin to answer any of Job's questions that he's been lifting up all of these chapters. As a matter of fact, instead of answering Job's questions, God actually has some questions for Job. God says, you know, where were you When, when I set in place billions of galaxies and Trillions of stars, where were you when, when lightning asked me, God, where, where should I go lodge for the night? Where, where were you? Where were you when the morning stars sang, when the angels were literally singing and worshiping God, when, when he was creating the world? He says, What were you? God shows up and he begins to speak, but he doesn't answer any of Job's questions. In fact, he has questions for Job. Can you imagine what would happen if we had an opportunity to talk to God one-on-one, kind of like Job did or maybe like Moses did when he would meet with God face-to-face as a man meets with his friend? Can you imagine what that would be like? You know what's interesting is we so often have so many questions for God when we're distant from him. A lot of times in our, in our prayer time where we're just like Job, lifting up all of these questions. God, I don't understand. And what's going on? And what are you doing? But, but if you ever had the kind of opportunity where God was literally right in front of you and he said, talk to me. What would your response be? Do you think that you would ask him all of those questions? I doubt it. I I doubt it. I, I think the sheer enormity of being in the presence of the God of the universe the Creator of Heaven and Earth—the sheer enormity of you being in front of, of, of our God—would not even allow you to open your feeble mouth and speak from your feeble mind with the with the with the thought that you understand it all and form questions. You know, you know what we would really do? We would bow down and worship. We would we would literally bow down and worship just like the vision that John had in in Revelation chapter 4 when he was asked to come up and God gave him a vision of heaven. And John says, what I saw was I saw him on the throne. And around the throne, he said, I saw four living creatures. And he said, I saw the 24 elders. He said, but what I saw is that those elders took off their, their, their crowns. They, they cast them before him because taking off that crown, it, it represents that, that, that their title and their position and their status and their prestige and everything that they've accomplished and all of the degrees amount to nothing. They took them off. They cast those things at his feet and what John saw was that they all bowed down to worship. Day and night they worshiped. See, that's what Job does. Job realizes when God begins to speak Job realizes that, you know what? I need to close my mouth. Job realizes that he really doesn't have a right to speak. Look with me at Job chapter 40 in verse number one. It says this. It says, the Lord answered Job, will the one who contends would the Almighty correct him? He says, you presume to correct me? Let him who argues with God give an answer. He says, since you think you know it all, Job, since, since, since you think you know it all, Susie, then you give me, give me an answer. Then Job answered the Lord and said this, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? Watch this. He says, I place my hand over my mouth. He says, I've spoken once, and I will not reply twice, but now I can add nothing. He's in the presence of God. And he says, I I, I need to shut up. I need to put my hand over my mouth, and I need to be quiet. Proverbs 10 and verse 19 says it this way. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is wise. See, what God wants us to understand here is that during times when we are, listen to me, frustrated, confused, upset, maybe even dismayed, maybe even disillusioned, during those times... It is best for us to lean in and listen to them. There there are times and there are seasons when you're frustrated and, and disappointed or maybe even discouraged. But it's during those times that it's just best not to ask questions. Even if those questions are burning a hole in your mental pocket. Sometimes it's just best to be still and listen. God says to Moses and the children of Israel when they're freaking out, what are we going to do? Pharaoh's chasing us. The Red Sea's in front of us. He said, just, just be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Be quiet. Listen. Elijah was, was freaking out. He'd gone from the top of Mount Carmel. Had a, an encounter with God. Fire rained down from, from heaven. 450 false prophets were taken care of. And and Jezebel sends a word, a threatening word, and now he goes from the mountaintop into deep despair and depression. Wants God to kill him. I can't believe I'm going through this. Why am I going through this, God? What's going on? And God says, Here's what I need you to do. First of all, I need you to take a couple of naps. Be still because you're tired. I'm going to send a raven to feed you because you're also hungry. You haven't taken care of yourself. That's a word. Some of you are saying, what, is, what, is, what, is, what does this mean for me? I'm preaching to you right now. This is your word. And then God says to Elijah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to meet me in this mountain. And he, he goes there, and, and there's an earthquake, and there's all of this big noise stuff, and God is not in any of it. He's waiting for Elijah to be silent. And it says that he speaks in a still, small voice. Sometimes, family, when we're going through seasons of difficulty and frustration and pain and discouragement, sometimes the best thing to do in those moments is just to be still, to lean into God. And to listen. You know, what's really interesting about this is that although I talk for a living, I'm really an introvert. Uh, my wife and I balance each other out in this regard because my wife is uber extroverted and she's always the life of the party, very bubbly and jovial and, and it's so funny. When we were dating, she was always wanting to talk and uh, I had to tell her, sweetie, I'm really, I'm really into you, but I'm also into silence. Like, you know, can, can we just be together and just, 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 just hush, you know? And it's, it's funny, we've been married 15 years now, celebrated our anniversary um, just uh, the other week and, and she, she knows, she's like, okay, let me just let you be silent. Let me let you have your time. One of the things that I enjoy doing... Because I normally get up up early. I get up really early in the morning and have my time with God. And sometimes, you know, it's not so much about my prayer request. Sometimes it's not so much about me reading a chapter in the Bible or reading a book in the Bible. Sometimes when I get up, I have my coffee and, and the sun hasn't come up. Nobody in my house is up. There's no music playing. The dog is still downstairs where he lives. There's no noise. There's silence. And I cherish that. Because those are the moments that I'm saying, Lord, speak. Speak. I just want to hear you. Sometimes I get in my car and I don't turn on Pandora. I don't turn on iTunes. I just, I just enjoy the silence because it's in those moments I'm saying, God, just speak to me. See, sometimes we have so much static in our lives because we're trying to figure out so many things. Why am I going through this? And why did this happen to me? And what is is going to happen in the end? And when will this ever end? And what am I supposed to do? All of this static. And sometimes instead of asking those questions for the billionth time, we need to decide that, you know what, God, I'm not going to ask you anymore. I'm just going to sit here and listen. Speak to me, Lord. That's what Job says. He says, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. In other words, i got nothing else to say. I'm not going to ask for any more answers. I'm just going to lean into your presence. I'm going to listen. One of my favorite theologians throughout history is a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. Some of you... May know C.S. Lewis from *The Chronicles of Narnia* and *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, but C.S. Lewis uh, has just written extensively beyond those books. Uh, and one of my favorite books on just grief and 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 seasons of suffering is this book called *The Grief Observed*. And um, if you are going through uh, the kind of time that Job is and raising questions and just wondering, God, what in the world is going on? Maybe it's a painful time. I highly recommend this book. It, it is a classic. He, he, he lays out so much in this book that is a blessing uh, in a variety of ways. But, but, but in this book, he is really just talking about a season of of his own suffering, he in this book is really talking about how he's grieving the death of his wife. His wife's name was Joy, and she died to cancer. And he had a nickname for her, and that nickname was H. And I want to share an excerpt from from this book, A Grief Observed, because it is such a blessing. And in many ways, he kind of, uh, in a succinct way helps to clarify that these moments of silence that, that, that Job finally understands are really important. And, and he reads it, and uh, hopefully they'll put up... Uh, he, they, let me read this rather than... I was going to say, hopefully they'll put it up on the screen. And uh, it, it says this. This is a quote directly from this book. He says, If I knew that to be eternally divided from H... That's his nickname for his wife, Joy. If I knew that to be eternally divided from H and eternally forgotten by her would add a greater joy or splendor to her being, of course I'd say, fire ahead. Just as if on earth I could have cured her cancer by never seeing her again, I'd have arranged never to see her again. I'd have had to. Any decent person would. But that's quite different. That's not the situation I'm in. When I lay these questions before God, I get no answer, but rather a special sort of no answer. It's not the locked door. It is more like a silent, certainly not uncompassionate gaze, as though he shook his head, not in refusal, but waving the question like, peace, child. You don't understand. He's saying that that I've lifted up so many questions. God, why is my wife dying of cancer? Why am I having to go through this? He says, and 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 God has not said anything. He says, I've got no answer. He says, but but it's but it's a special sort of no answer. It's not that God has removed his presence from me. God is is silent, but he is compassionately with me. He says, I feel his gaze upon me, but but it's almost like God is is waving the question, saying all of these questions you're asking, you don't understand, but I'm with you. What C.S. Lewis is describing here Reminds me very much of how God deals with the Apostle Paul in 2nd Corinthians You remember in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8 Paul has this this thorn in his flesh and throughout you know the history of the written Bible people have speculated about what that thorn in the flesh is some people said it was a chronic eye condition other people have have speculated that it was something far worse more gruesome more hideous more sinful we don't know what the thorn in Paul's flesh was but we do know that Paul pleaded with the Lord in 2nd Corinthians 12 and 8 when it says three times I pleaded with the Lord that is written in a perpetual sense so it is not that Paul just prayed one two three times when he says three times it means that he overwhelmingly asked over and over and over and over and over again, Lord, take it away from me, take it away from me, take it away from me. But God was silent. And he just said, my grace is sufficient because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Translation, I'm saying no, I may not answer your question, but my presence is with you. And that's enough. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He says, I get it now. I get it. I get it. He says, there's something about going through seasons of difficulty. There's something about going through seasons of pain. There's something about going through seasons of suffering that, that open the door for the presence of God like never before. He says, so if, if I had to choose... Between the thorn being removed and the presence and power of God, he says, I, I choose the presence and power of God. See, this is why spiritual disciplines like prayer and worship are so important. Because it is impossible, family, for us to live a pain-free life. It is impossible. But, but through the disciplines of prayer and, and worship, Oh, you begin to tap into the peace and the presence of God like never before. There have been some some dark and difficult moments in my life. And I can tell you, as the bishop, that there have been moments where God has not answered my questions. There's been silence, but... But when I lean in through worship, when I, when I lean in through prayer or in those moments of just silence, when I just spend time just basking in the silence of the Lord in my home, his presence has come. And it's made all the difference. Job 42 in verse 1. It says, then Job replied to the Lord, Here it is he says I know that you can do all things no purpose of yours can be thwarted you asked who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge surely I spoke of things that I did not understand things too wonderful for me to know you said listen now and I will speak I will question you and you shall answer me. And here it is. He says, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Of all of the verses in this Bible, of all of the verses in this book of Job, for me, this is one of the most important verses. Because what Job is saying is, you know what? Yes, I had been faithful. Yes. I don't know that I did anything to deserve this. He says, but that was all ear stuff. I had heard of you. He says, but, but in this suffering, through all of this, he says, now I see you. He says, now I see you. And you know, I really believe that sometimes the reason that God allows us to go through difficulty and painful things is because it's, it's in those moments that, that we begin to see God like never before. Kind of like the three Hebrew boys who, who had heard of the Lord, had a great relationship, but it was ear stuff, and, and they refused to bow down to the king, and, and, and they ended up being thrown in the fire, but it was in the fire that they saw him because there was a fourth person in that fire. He got in there with them. I believe That's a part of what God is doing even through this pandemic. So many of us had heard of him. But God says, what I'm doing is I want you to see me. I want, I want, I want America to really see me. I want, I want communities, uh, red and yellow, black and white. I, I want communities to see me. Too many people have been trying to get by, by just, uh, hearing of me. So many of us, even in the body of Christ, we have a, we have an ear relationship with the Lord. Yes, we may know songs. Yes, we may have heard scripture, but God says, I'm moving you beyond that. I don't want you to just hear of me. I want you to see me. Job says, I, I've seen you now. Job says, I'm good. I got your presence. I'm good. I'm good. Job says, you don't have to answer any more of my questions. My, my, I'm going to shut up because I got your presence. I don't, need, I don't need all the answers, Lord. I need you, and I pray that that's the cry of your heart. I pray that the cry of your heart is, is that, God, I recognize that if you are all that I have, then in truth, you're all that I really need. I pray that the cry of your heart is God. You, you, you don't have to give me all of the details and you don't have to answer every one of my questions and explain to me why this is happening and why that happened. I just need you. I just want you. because the word of the Lord is, if you have him and His presence, you can handle the divorce. If you have him, His presence, you can handle this pandemic. If, if you have him. And, this, and his presence. You, you, you can handle uh, the layoffs. If you have him and his presence, you can handle the uncertainties. You can handle the difficult times and the questions if you have him and his presence. Because God will provide peace even in the midst of the silence. I want you to welcome now my spiritual daughter, all the way from Jackson, Mississippi and the Jackson Revival Center Church, Pastor Jennifer Beard, would you receive her now? Well, hey family, as I think about this message today, peace in the silence, and and when I think about someone that could be the human face of this, the Lord put my spiritual daughter, an amazing woman of God on my heart, Pastor Jennifer Beard, all the way from uh, Jackson, Mississippi, one of God's uh, greatest churches, I believe, uh, not only in the South, but really around the country, the Jackson Revival Center Church, and she's the lead pastor there, and I'm just excited for her to join us on this Sunday as we close this message, Peace in the Silence. So, uh, Pastor Beard, daughter, it's so great to have you this morning. As we talk about this, this, this moment or these seasons that we go through where You know, there are times where God is not saying anything. Um, We go through these silent periods, but yet God gives us peace. How have you seen that maybe in your life or in your ministry? How have you met God in that place? Or maybe God has met you in that place. But in particular, how how has this message uh, been lived out in your own life?
1: Yes, sir. Well, good morning, Bishop. First of all, let me say thank you for reaching out. Uh, it's such an honor and a privilege to be with you and Dr. Ty, Eden, and Ethan, and the entire Worship Center family. You know, I love you guys with all of my heart, and uh, so I'm just excited to have the opportunity to to share a few moments with you, but absolutely, um, my mind immediately goes back to um, a time in 2010, uh, probably one of the most tumultuous times in my life that I had a situation where Uh, My dad was diagnosed with cancer in August of 2010. Uh, One of my best friends was diagnosed with cancer in October of 2010. And then in January of 2011, another best friend was diagnosed with cancer. And the thing was, not only was this my dad and two of my best friends, they were church members. Uh, One of the young ladies happened to be the daughter of my dad's secretary. And so we're talking, it was... They, it felt like three family members, not just, you know, friends, but but family. And um, I, I remember, you know, really trying to, to grapple with God, what are you doing? Because it felt like everything in my life was falling apart mm-hmm. and I did not hear his voice. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where it seemed like life was literally unraveling at the seams and I was desperately needing to hear from God and I, I did not hear him in that moment. And so some of the things I'll kind of share with you this moment are things that came in retrospect, hmm. but the thing that kept blowing my mind was that I was, I was hurting, you know, in a way I had never hurt before. I was experiencing pain. I was experiencing grief. Um, but at the same time, there was an unexplainable peace. Mm. And, and that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning, because, um, you know, Job is a beautiful testimony of the principle of recovery. Uh, life happens to all of us. And unfortunately, when life happens many times, loss happens. And we see this with Job, uh, the unexpected, the unexplainable, Uh, you know, and for us, it was the unexpected diagnoses. Uh, There was a storm that hit right in the middle of that, uh, took the roof off of my parents' home. And so there were all of these things that that we were having to deal with. And what I began to realize was that God was putting the word within me to the test. And at the same time, I was uh, learning and and really being asked the question, I guess, by life, is this relationship with God lip service or is it a lifestyle? Wow! And uh, this is where I really began to tap into um, the principle of recovery, I guess, because you know the thing about life, when you have the ability to love people greatly, you also have the potential to be hurt deeply. Yeah. And for me, I was hurting so deeply because the people that I love, the people that I shared life with, the people, you know, who who were my friends, it seemed like everything in my life was being touched, everything was being tested. And so The question then became not what do you believe about uh, loss, but what do you believe about recovery? And so I was tested. Do I believe that God can, can deliver me out of this? Is it possible to, to recover from this? Is it possible to bounce back? Because sometimes in life we can deal with so many losses, we wonder, will I ever bounce back? But that's the thing that I love about the gospel is that this moment in time, this season of my life, it tested me um, and really allowed me to experience for myself that the gospel is good news because Jesus himself is the prime example of the ability to recover from death itself. That when he got up, uh, it was a revelation to us of what is possible for us in the midst of seasons that seem impossible to recover from. And so in the midst of the silence, my peace was coming Uh, From the fact that I realized no matter what happened, no matter what was lost, because God was with me, uh, when I heard Him, when I didn't hear from Him, it was possible for me to recover. And so the Bible is replete with passages. Uh, about what it really means and what it looks like to recover from loss. I'm reminded of a passage of scripture in Joel chapter two, where they were an agrarian society, and yeah. you know they were they were facing um, a drought. And so, in the middle of that, uh, God began to speak. When it, when it seemed like there was, there was no word from heaven, suddenly God sent the prophet Joel and he said, I, you know, I know what it looks like, but I want you to let them know I'm going to send them rain. And basically the lesson was don't allow the drought, don't allow the test to make you doubt who God is and don't let it make you doubt who you are in him. Yeah. And the thing that I love about, Joel chapter 38 was there had been this long silence, but all of a sudden God began to speak, not just in the midst of a storm, but in the midst of a whirlwind, you know, and for me though, there was no audible voice. I began seeing the hand of God Mm. in the midst of what was a whirlwind in my life, because as, as it turned out, I had to preach my best friend's funeral on the day she passed. I mean, on the day I preached her funeral, my dad passed away. Mm -hmm. I left from preaching her funeral. He passed away. And then right behind that, my other friend passed away. I preached nine funerals within a six-week period. So I was trying to deal with the grief of having lost so many people. My dad was, you know, my dad, my best friend, my pastor. Um, And at the same time, in that season, I was also assuming the role of senior pastor of our church. And so you talk about needing to hear a word from God. You talk about needing to know God was with me in the middle of a storm. And that's where I really began to learn this principle of recovery um, and really began to lean into understanding not just who God is, but understanding his heart toward me, understanding his love for me. that God began to, to remind me um, that it doesn't matter what form it comes in, um, I'm able to restore back to you whatever has been lost. I'm able to restore back to you the years that the palmer worm and the canker worm and the locusts have devoured. And what he's really saying, you know, some of those things fly, some of those things chew, some of those things consume, but they're all locusts. And so God was, was letting me know no matter what form it comes in. I'm able to restore it back to you. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, it was one of those situations where I really for the first time, had to lean into the strength of God, the grace of God and the mercy of God for myself. Because before I had had my dad to go to, I had had friends to lean on, but it seemed that God had snatched all of the safety blankets away from my life. And what I began to realize was that if I lost everything, Mm -hmm. as long as I had God, I had what I needed. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, God doesn't work through relationship and that we don't need others to lean into. But what I found out was, you know, that if God was all I had God was all I needed, that he began to show me I am the God of restoration. I know how to feel your empty places when you're hungry. I know how to satisfy you. And so what we really begin to understand is the difference between recovery and restoration. Yeah. And so I've kind of been talking about God being the one who is able to restore. What I learned, Bishop, is that it's God's job to restore, but it's my job to preserve pursue recovery. Wow. And so a lot of times people may say, well, you know, what is the difference between restoration and recovery? Well, what we see about Job, what we see about Joel, what we see about so many different instances in scripture, and what I saw about myself was that when when Satan came after Job, God allowed it. But what Satan was coming after, he wasn't coming after his sons. He wasn't coming after his daughters. He wasn't coming after his sheep and his oxen. What he was really coming after was Job's heart. Wow! What he was, and, and that is what I would say today, what I learned in the midst of the silence, what gave me peace in the midst of the silence was God pushing me on the inside um, showing me that I could endure whatever I had to endure if I didn't lose heart. When when the when the crops were attacked in Joel, it wasn't just about the crops. Uh, when Job was attacked, it wasn't just about his family. It was about his hope being attacked. It was about his optimism, his dreams, his focus, his expectation. The attack. Um, wasn't just about the harvest, so to speak, because all of those things were a result of the harvest in Job's life. Mm. He was attacking the harvest to cause Job to lose heart. Mm. And many times that's what the real battle is. You know, whatever we're facing is, can the enemy uh, bring us to the place that we lose heart, and He knows that the way to cause us to lose heart is to attack our harvest. And so many times, what's being messed with is is not even the thing that that is really the end result. It's about destiny, and and it's about Him uh, messing with all of the things that 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 pour into our heart, that make our heart healthy. And so for me, it's a matter of really tapping into um, the understanding that it's God's job to restore, but it's our job to recover. Wow. That even when David was attacked in his life, you know, at Ziklag, and he had lost, you know, he had come back from battle, lost yep. his his wife, lost his children. Um, he asked God a question. He said, shall I pursue and God said yes, yes you shall pursue and without fail you shall recover. Oh, so it's God's job to restore, but it's our job to pursue recovering what he wants to restore. And so, you know, for me, it was a matter of really coming to a place that I could acknowledge where I was that I could acknowledge um you know, just how hurt I really was um, and really begin to stand in faith because faith is not a denial of the fight, but faith is a denial of the fight to have authority over your final victory. Yeah. You know, so I had to really come to a place of acknowledging uh where I was, that I had to receive The fact that God could restore unto me, but I had to pursue recovering what he wanted to restore. I had to call some things what they were. I had to be honest about how I felt, see it for what I could see, call it what it was, you know, and really say, God, give me the grace to pursue, you know, um, not just stuff, but to pursue having my heart towards you um, in the right place and yeah. understanding your heart for me, your love for me, and, and then make it, make it personal. You know, I, I really had to, uh, block everything out and really make it personal and understand how I, you know, handle it determines how I hurdle it. Yes. You know, and so I had to really lean into the strength of God, really begin to lean into the heart of God toward me. Yeah. And, you know, when I really began to understand his heart, toward me and be established in my identity as a daughter of the most high God. You know, Kim saying you're mine and because you're mine, the weapons will form but they won't be able to prosper yeah. because you're mine, you're covered in my blood because you're mine, every need is going to be supplied. You will not go lacking. You know, and when I really began to get uh, established in my identity, as a daughter of god the affirmation i needed was there and i was able to rest in god's ability to restore and i began to pursue recovering everything that i had lost and so you know bishop it has it has been amazing to see what God has done. Because in that season of my life, it looked like I had lost everything near to me, everything dear to me. It seemed like I was facing an impossible assignment. And when I look where we are eight years later, and God has restored all along the way, you know, you know, I'll say this and I'll close because I know our time is far spent Um, You know, but for me, sometimes we celebrate coming out of a thing, not realizing that we left a big part of ourselves in what we came out of. You know, it's possible to come out, but sometimes... We celebrate survival when God is saying, no, I don't want to just bring you out of the situation. I want to bring the situation out of you. And so what I really began to see was God's ability to restore, my responsibility to recover. But as I pursued allowing God to add to me what he wanted to add. I want to let you know he has done exceedingly and abundantly, far above anything I could have asked, anything I could think of, anything I could imagine. And, you know, we, the church has continued to grow. We have, you know, added campuses. We have added people. Um, God has added people to my life. Nothing in my life has gone lacking. And I'm so grateful for my connection with you because, you know, the thing I was lacking was someone to uh, father me and my father imparted so much but you know I knew I needed someone to walk alongside me to love me to nurture me and I'm so grateful for even in the midst of loss how God added to me you know I didn't even know you in the moment that my dad Mm. passed away and just to see how God divinely orchestrated our connection you know and I can truly say nothing in my life has gone lacking. And so um, I'm so grateful. So I pray that maybe there's somebody out there today who has experienced not just one loss, but extreme loss. I want to let you know, I am a witness that God can restore back to you um, the relationships, the years, the hurt, you know, and he can give you your heart back, your heart for God, your heart for ministry, your heart for people. You can open yourself up to love again, to be loved again. And I'm just telling you, God is doing some amazing, phenomenal things. So I I hope that I've made sense. I hope I haven't been uh, too scattered, but I'm telling you, I love the book of Job because it is an amazing uh, example of what God can do, even in the midst of turmoil, in the time of storm, where maybe we don't hear Him speaking, maybe we can't make sense of what He's doing. I want to let you know it's not always what it looks like, and many times when it looks like it's falling apart, and and nothing is ever going to happen, you know, that is meaningful in our life again. It's in those moments God is already working to restore, to build, to increase. You know, he's always working for our good. So I pray that this has been helpful and meaningful uh, for somebody that indeed God can give you peace in the midst of the storm. He can give peace even in the midst of what seems to be a season of silence.
0: Absolutely. It's been more than uh, purposeful and meaningful. It's been life. And so, family, there you have it. We may be in a storm now, maybe your storm is COVID-19, maybe your storm is uh, economically related or personally related, but regardless, he can and will restore. Even in the midst of the silence, he's still there, he's still moving, and he still has your best interest at heart. Pastor Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing your life and your story, and it's been transformative. Thanks for being with us on this Sunday morning.
1: The pleasure's all mine, Bishop. And I just want to let the entire Worship Center family know I love each and every one of you guys. And uh, we're believing God for great things.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, family, before we close, we would not dare close this service without extending an opportunity for you to get to know the God who restores. He's real. And I want you to know him in a very personal way. I want you to have the testimony like Job that I maybe had heard of you, but now I see you. That's how he wants us to relate to him in a real way. And all you've got to do is open your heart to receive him this morning. You can do it in a variety of ways. You can go out to our website. You can open our app. Those of you that are already worshiping with us online. There are some prompts right there that you can click on that will take you into where you need to go to fill out information. Why do we collect that? Because the Bible says how we get to God is very simple. We have to believe in our heart and we have to confess with our mouth. That's it. Well, the way we confess in this digital space while we're trying to make the best decisions to keep everybody healthy and uh, COVID-free is that we utilize that digital connect card or we go to our homepage. There's even a, a text feature. There's information about that that they may put on the screen. You can text your decision right now by way of your mobile phone. But the main thing is, however you do it, do it now. Would you open your heart? Would you Would you allow God to come in and impact you in a very significant way? Would you allow him to lead you to recovery and restoration you are going to recover as a matter of fact many of you already being blessed in the midst of it well guess what God has on the other side of it he's got greater in store we're going to close on next Sunday and we'll see how God ends up blessing Job in the end but that's your story COVID-19 won't be forever there's life after this there's greater after this. God wants to bring you into that place. Let me pray for you and then we'll close. Father, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice that's making decisions this morning. There are people, Lord, who have never opened their heart to receive you as their Savior. <clears throat> God, I thank you that they're doing it now. Father, there are individuals who may know you as their Savior, but they don't have a faith community, a faith home, a church family and I thank you that they're making decisions to connect with TWC now. Father there are individuals that had Job like experiences or maybe like Pastor Jennifer described loss after loss, hurt after hurt and instead of leaning in and listening they walked away but Father they're returning back to you today and so Father I thank you for every decision that's being made now be it through our digital connect cards on our homepage, even through our text decision feature. Father, I thank you for every decision and pray your blessing of restoration and recovery that it would rest on every household under the sound of my voice right now in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Now, Father, would you bless your people? Would you make your face to shine upon your people? Would you continue, Father, to give us peace even in the midst of silence? That is our prayer and our blessing for your people in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. God bless you, family. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.